Welcome back, wrestling fans. Psychic Medium Angelo here, along with my co-host, the affable Jeff the Ref Robinson. Jeff, how you doing, brother? I'm doing good. How are you doing, Angelo? I'm wonderful. It's been a busy week in wrestling, so uh, oh yeah. Further ado, uh, let's get right into it. And first, I got to say a uh, shout out to our producer, Latino Heat, who produces the show every week for us. Yes, sir. And, uh, so Latino, get well, get that finger going. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. He uh, he needs to get that better and and all fixed up and ready to roll again. He needs um, pushing button that that pushing. That button-pushing figure. Yeah, button uh, made him have to get stitches. <laughs> Can you tell we're live right now, folks? Yeah, we're live if it, anything goes. <laughs> so, Jeff, uh, catch me up on the week in wrestling. Big, big news. As we were leaving last week, yeah. you and I got news that Eric Bischoff is out at the WWE. And, he and that was huge. That was actually pretty ground-shaking. I mean, even from what um, Tony Schiavone, which, uh, okay, I'm a member of his Patreon, which eventually we will be getting a Patreon, everybody. Um, yeah. But uh, I'm a member of his Patreon. Uh, something that he said, I, I mean, I, I, because of that, it drops early for us. Um, so I am letting a little spoiler out of something that he made mention of. They were talking about Bischoff. They asked him when he found out. He said basically when he landed in Philly last week, last Wednesday, at, um, for AEW, and he got off and he got a text from Arn Anderson, and Arn Anderson said, "Aren't you glad you're working for AEW and not WWE?" Because there was talks that Tony was in talks with WWE because of his affiliation with Bruce Prichard through Conrad Thompson, and and and. Um, anyway, that, you know, because of that affiliation, Bruce is trying to get him, a, you know, a job for his buddy, which yeah. he probably parlay. Honestly, Bruce probably, uh, you know, made the pitch for Eric Bischoff to come in. In all honesty, um, right? Because I don't know that he would have been on their radar so much as it was Bruce going. Look, he kicked your ass for eighty three weeks, man. Bring him in and see what he can do. You know, yeah. he, 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 because. Anyway, so, but what, and Arn said something, then Dean Malenko said something to him, and then Tony basically said it was a talk of the AEW locker room, like, about Eric getting fired. Tony even speculated, which is what I had said to you, if you recall, I wonder if WWE didn't hire him partially to keep him from AEW. You know, and that's more than just speculation, because there were talks early on that uh, Cody Rose was actually interested yep. in bringing Eric Bischoff on. Absolutely. So it's not far-fetched. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, well, let's, let me just ask you this, Jeff. Yeah. Where did everything go wrong? When did it, in your, in your professional opinion, where did everything start to go south? When, Eric, when, when did the shit hit the fan? I, I don't think it, I, I really don't think that it hit the fan as far as the WWE when I mean he was only there for eleven weeks. How much can you screw up? Well, yeah, I mean, in my understanding, is he moved his whole family from. Uh, he, he did. He, they were but, Wyoming or Montana or somewhere uh, from Wyoming. Now here's the good thing: his house hadn't sold in Wyoming, so he's going to be able to move back. And um, he mentioned this himself. 
on his podcast that did drop yesterday. Um, okay. <laughs> it, it, so he's talking about it. Yeah, yeah. So he, he did mention it. He's going to be moving back to Wyoming with his family or his wife and dogs and all that. He was living in an apartment actually out there in New York or Connecticut while, you know, waiting for things to kind of get settled down. Here's the deal. He was only there for 11 weeks and as big as WWE is, how much heat can you get in 11 weeks? Well, if you're Eric Bischoff, that's kind of a loaded question. That's very true. But Eric Bischoff of today is not Eric Bischoff of the mid-90s, the late-90s when he was in charge of WCW. Was there any talk or rumor speculation regarding any heat that he had? Did he have any residual heat? There really wasn't any that he, I mean, pretty much all heat that he had from his WCW days got squashed when Vince brought him back as a character. When he made him the GM of Raw right. back in the early 2000s, uh, I think 2005-ish, whatever it was, when he made him the GM of Raw and shocked the hell out of the wrestling world by even bringing Eric Bischoff out and hugging him on national TV and all that good jazz. Yeah. Eric squashed pretty much all heat he had with any WCW guys. Okay. He had no residual heat from any of the uh, any of the uh, people up top, like Triple H, Stephanie, Vince. They all loved him. Here's okay. Facts are facts. Fox wanted Paul Heyman. Now, that was something I, I heard early on as well. Yeah. Fox wanted Paul Heyman, and Vince basically said no. He's my main producer over here on USA. I need him here on USA. I need him to help produce Raw show. That's where he's, you know, that's kind of like where his mind is right now. That's what he's right. He's focused on. That's where his storylines are, you know, all that. So the, he denied them Paul Heyman. He did say, however, I'm going to give you Eric Bischoff, who has this many years of experience. Right. They come out of the gate, which, come on. You're talking, they went national syndication. They're, they're on Fox. They're being plugged all over Fox, all over the football, all over FS1. Any Fox station promoted the hell out of SmackDown coming on on Friday nights. Right. So, of course, they're going to come out of the gate with a huge number. Yes, I, naturally. Me and you could open up a promotion tomorrow and say that we're going to be on TV and, 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 have, and, and we, could, we could have all the hype behind us. And we're going to come out with a big number, whether or not people know who the hell we are or not. Wrestling fans will tune in because it's wrestling. Exactly. Sure. Now, if you don't deliver, they're not going to tune back in. That I'm not going to even say that that first SmackDown was crappy because it was really was good. It really well, I mean, that that leads, coming yeah, out there. But the, Jeff, that leads me to this question: from week one. To week two. Now you pointed out, and and so true, you're right. He was only there for eleven weeks, but between week one on Fox and week two, the numbers dropped by almost a million or more. I, I heard it was actually over a million. A million four is what they're saying. Yeah, yeah, one point four is what. Yeah, you're you're accurate on that. And and I, it, it's what I, I said to you last week, I, and and I. Um, unfortunately, I don't think it hit. I don't know if it hit our show or not, because um, I know we had technical difficulties last week. So, um, well, yeah. In 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 uh, in full disclosure, uh, I should tell people watching and listening on Podbean 
that last week we had a thunderstorm here in New Jersey that knocked our power. Uh, and so only half the show uh, got uploaded and we lost. And we're not going to deliver a crap show. If we got a crap show, we're not delivering and we're only going to deliver what you guys want. And that's the best. So absolutely. absolutely. Um, so basically, I'll, I'll just say what I said last week. I, I thought it last week. You were wondering, did he have residual heat? Was it backstage heat? Was it Bruce Pritchard? Was there what was going on backstage? And I said to you, I thought that he was a patsy. I said to you, I, I said, yes, you did. I think that they brought him in for nothing more than to have somebody to blame if those numbers dropped. Yeah. And as soon as that rating went to 1.4, boom, Eric Bischoff's out. Now, here's the here's the kicker. Okay. It wasn't Vince that wanted him gone. Vince was willing to say, okay, Vince knows the wrestling business. He knows wrestling fans. He knows that they drop well, like I that. I was gonna, just going to ask you, he could easily have shifted him to another show, right? Exactly. And I and and, it, and it's come out this week, uh, and I think this is where you're going. It came out this week that Eric was actually let go by Fox, and we should point out, yeah, that although it says WWE SmackDown, let's be real about this. It's really Fox's WWE SmackDown. They own yes, they own SmackDown. Now you want to know what's funny. You think about who owns Fox? It's owned by Disney. Yeah. Are we going to one day see Goofy versus Mickey Mouse at WrestleMania? Who the I, hell knows? I, <laughs> <laughs> we already saw that in WCW. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're right. But um, that was that was really really big. And I think now now here's some other big news. But but I have a question for you though, because and I want you to hold hold on to that for just a second. Okay. No. No. Go. Go. So they lose a million four from week one to week two. Is that because, and this is my belief, and, I, and I'm sure you have an opinion on it, but my belief is that the wrestling market is really, really hot right now. Yep. And there's wrestling on television literally five nights a week. Yes. Now, did that, in your opinion, did that play into that huge drop in numbers? Absolutely. I think, too, you're looking at a Friday night. People go out Friday night. I mean, I don't care how old you are. You go out. Whether yeah. you're, you're 30, 40, 50, 60, 20, most people are going out on a Friday night. You find something to get into. Yeah. Whether you're going over to your friend's house and playing cards and drinking some wine, whether or not you're going out to the club and you're in your 20s, whether, or not, you know, whatever, whatever you're, most people go out. And it's, yeah. it, it, okay, I'm going to quote kind of what, it basically is what Cody Rhodes, somebody was asking him about EW's ratings having dropped and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And he said, we live in the digital age where you can DVR anything. Yes. And those so, numbers don't count. We should say that to people. Those numbers don't count. There you go. So there, there is really, when is that is that 1.4, did they really drop or did they just happen to go out that night and record it? That, that's the magic question. 
And I don't think that nobody knows that answer. But and, and see, but but to be fair, you're talking about a national network. You're not talking cable. Cable True. cable will look at ratings and go, eh, okay, our ratings are slipping, but okay, we'll give you we'll keep on giving you chances. Right. A national network, they want you to deliver just like a TV show. If you got it, if you came out with a brand new TV show and you and then and they think it's going to be a the newest you know winter hit, fall hit, whatever. And if out of the you know first two or three episodes, if your ratings are bombing, they're dropping you like a hot cake. Yeah, sure. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're Chuck Lorre who produced it. They're going to drop it. Yeah. I'm not saying that Fox is going to drop their wrestling, but they want to see numbers. They want to see. Those ratings matter to them because that is commercials. Why yeah. would you? Why would you? Let's just say this: um, you own Toyota, or you're the Toyota sponsor. Okay. And I go to you as the as the the Fox executives, and I go, "Hey, how would you like to you know put a commercial national a national commercial over here on SmackDown and run it twice during SmackDown, one during the first hour, one during the second hour? Now you as as the Toyota person are going to say, well, what are the ratings? Your national TV, what are your ratings? Well, our first week we were at 3.4. And the next week we were down to a 2.2. And we're right around 1.9, right around 2.0. You're going to look at me and laugh and go, why do I want to be on there when you only got 2 million viewers? That's, well, and it's a valid question to ask. And that leads me into this because it's it taught it all it all comes full circle. If you're a guy investing big bucks on national on a national level on national television, you you certainly don't want to throw your money away. You want to invest your money yep. for a return. Yep. If SmackDown cannot pay the dividend on that return. How long then will SmackDown last on Fox, keeping in mind they own the show now? It's no longer Vince McMahon's show. Um, man, that's a tough question, brother. I, I, I'll tell you, I mean, I could, I could conceivably see, as crazy as it sounds, see them giving them about a three-year chance. Okay. Uh, because... You, you can't sit there and base everything off of even the first month or even the first six months. Because you kind of got to, I mean, somebody's got to get it. See, here's the, they're, okay, WWE's running into the problem that WCW did when WCW was sold to Ted Turner. Yeah, very, very much so. It, it, it's funny, it's you know, not, again, not to interrupt you, but it's funny that you bring up a really interesting point. That it it seems to me, and I heard someone else point this out. It might have been, it it actually may have been Vince Russo of all people mm. that pointed this out. That history is repeating itself. Yes, right. And, and we we saw this happen. We've seen this before. We we've been down this road. Yep. And so, have we learned our lesson? Nope. Has history taught us anything? And I'm here's the deal. I'm shocked in a way that Vince would have let 
the Fox executives have the power that they have. Vince, well, they own the show. Here's the deal. Vince has always been in charge. And it's not that he's not in charge, but those executives can go to him and say, we don't like this character and we don't want him over here. Right. Right. Exactly. We, we, we like this guy, but we want to see him jump up and down and do jumping jacks. Uh, yeah, exactly. Right. So that's what I meant by WC. When WCW got bought and they were owned by Ted Turner, when all of a sudden they took off and Monday Nitro and the NWO took off. Right. All of a sudden, those executives and bean counters started paying attention to the little engine that yeah. could. Well, well, let's let's relive history for a second. Here's my point. This is what I was going to make. Those executives started sticking their nose in WCW's business, and they don't know the wrestling business. And we right. don't understand how the wrestling business works. It runs in cycles. We all know this. We as fans, we as anybody who's ever been in it, yeah. know that it runs in cycles. It right. Is very, so, uh, can't even say the word but uh it runs in cycles so it was hot in the 80s by by the early 90s it started dying out by the mid 90s it started picking up steam by the late 90s it was it was hot cakes it started dying out by the early 2000s yeah in 20 plus years but we're back again yes however this time when we're during our wrestling boom yeah. We're dealing with it during the digital technology computer age. Well, yeah, we have technology available now that wasn't available 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. The other thing we have going for us are alternative means of watching the program. Now, let's talk about Amen. Turner Television uh, as it relates to Jim Crockett Promotions and we actually on our very first episode we spoke about the infamous black saturday yep so then that all ties into current history because let me just get everybody up to speed on what happened and how it affects the product today back i'm guessing it was probably mid 80s middle to late 80s Jim Crockett Promotions, which was Mid-Atlantic NWA, yep. was in financial dire straits. And so, yes. And they sold their company to a guy who was interested in buying. His name was Ted Turner. Yep. Now, Ted Turner had a very special place in his heart for wrestling. Sure did. Because he built his entire television empire on wrestling, studio wrestling. Studio Wrestling, Andy Griffin, and Baseball. And yes, the Atlanta Braves. He had, we should also point out Ted Turner owns the Atlanta Braves. Yep. Or did. Or he, he did, yeah. He, yeah, he did own the Braves. Uh, and sold it for a healthy profit. Uh, just in, in case you're wondering if Ted Turner's okay, he's doing very well financially. Yeah. Um, so, now Turner, who is clearly a wrestling fan but also a television owner and executive, he's got a, a string of networks. So he broadcast the NWA on his Turner Superstation, WTBS. Along comes Vince McMahon on one infamous Saturday, shows up on Turner Television and says, 
Hey, folks, welcome to the World Wrestling Federation. Okay, and you're, you're, you still can't get over that. And so, uh, at that point, the wrestling fans really gathered up in mass. They spoke their peace of mind enough to where Turner said, Okay, Vince, look, what's it going to take for you to go back to New York? He said, give me a million dollars. Okay? Yep. So basically, that million dollars paid for Vince McMahon to put on his dream match called WrestleMania. So your adversary is now paying you, putting you in a position where you're now going to destroy his whole life. Squashed him like a bug. Okay. Nobody saw it coming. All right. Now, I remember, uh, thank you that I, see, you taught me well, Jeff. So thank you for teaching me. Now, work me in from that point to where we are now. Tell people how history repeated itself. Okay. So then we're going to fast forward from 1988. Ted Turner owns. Uh, WCW, um, they steadily lost eight to ten million dollars a year. They were in the red. I heard that over the course of WCW, and and I've heard varying figures, but they all they all border around this number, and 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 I can't even believe it. So please tell me if it's bullshit or if this is real. But I heard that they lost somewhere in the in the ballpark of sixty four million dollars. There, okay. I, I gotta get. You, I'm gonna get you to that number, actually. Okay. Okay, but am I am I in the ballpark? You are, but here, but, 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 but I gotta get you there first. Okay. How did we lose sixty four million dollars, Jeff? Here's what happened. This is what no, this, I'm gonna tell you exactly. Here we go. Quick history. Here we go. You you had they were losing eight to ten million. Ted Turner was okay with that. The executives weren't paying any attention to it. The bean counters could care less. They're in the red, but Ted Turner loved wrestling no matter what the executives. They would always try to say, Why do you need them on here? They're losing money. Why do you want them? And he's like, I believe in them, keep them here. I don't give a crap what y'all want to do. They're staying. Okay, fast forward, and then we get a young, hip, new producer in charge by the name of Eric Bischoff. Eric Bischoff in 1994 goes to Ted Turner and said, Ted, if you want to compete at all, you got to open up your wallet and you got to let me get some guys that, that can help jumpstart our show. Right. So, Ted so said, they're oh, basically, Jeff, he, Eric comes in with a pocket full of money, courtesy of Ted Turner. Well, and... See, you're, you're going to get the narrative wrong there, okay? Okay, then... Did, he didn't really have free Well, this reign. is why you're here. This is why you're... Eric didn't really have free reign like a lot of people thought he did as far as, like, just handing out money. He I had to... They, they called... I got to ask you this question. They called him ATM Eric. That was... That's exactly where I'm going with it. Okay, the boys nicknamed him that because a lot of them did look at him as a mark, per se. That like they a money mark. 
that, that well, not even really a money mark, but a mark that they could work into getting more money. Not that he was paying them, but he they knew that he could go to Ted or whoever and give them a bigger contract. Okay. And basically, any contract over $500,000, he had to get approved by Ted or the executives. Okay. Now, 1994 comes along. There's a, there's a man from up north, brother, if you know what I mean, dude. Um, <laughs> well, you know, brother. Yeah, all of a sudden. Yeah, I know. All of a sudden, the man, he became available. Ric Flair goes down to where Hogan was shooting Thunder in Paradise. Right. WCW guys were, were also down there filming Baywatch. Flair pitches to Hogan, why don't you come over here? Easier schedule. You won't have to work as much. You, you, you can get more money. Blah, 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 makes a pitch. And then all of a sudden, Hogan does what nobody in the world saw coming, and he jumps to WCW. Now, it didn't necessarily jumpstart their business on TV. It, it, it jumpstarted pay-per-views to a point. But see, the problem was Hogan had a certain formula he was used to working. He needed the monsters. He needed the earthquakes. He needed the, the big guys to come in, the Kamalas and the various ones. WCW at the time was a small to moderate-sized guy territory. I mean, big to them was Vader, and Vader was a big dude, but he was one of the only ones. WCW, you're talking about guys like Beautiful Bobby and um, Sting. You know, yeah, two twenty, two thirty. Oh yeah, I you're mean, talking about guys now that are you know three hundred plus pounds. Right, and, and and Hogan was used to his monsters, so to appease his ego, because he actually had a contract that pretty much said, "I could face whoever I want. I decide if I'm going to win or lose." He had a he he, he had creative control. Right, we've that so he, he went to creative control contract, and he went to Bischoff and he said, "This guy's available. This guy's available. This guy's available. This guy's available." And Bischoff started going to Ted and said, "Can I? Can you open your wallet?" Ted said, "Here, get whoever you need." Right, so started building this roster. 1995 comes Ted and and Eric Bischoff goes to Ted Turner and he's going to make a pitch for them to be on the station in China. Okay. Not, and then Eric, Eric said, ah, uh, this is how Eric does it. Uh, Ted Turner said, ah, uh, what's it going to take to uh, compete with the WWF? And Eric said, I, I need uh, I, I need cable and I need it to be in, in, in prime time. And live. And live, yeah. And he said, he looked at, the, the, I don't remember who the other, the executive in the, in the room was. Bob Schuster. That's it. And he said, Bob, I need you to find him a, a slot on TNT on Monday nights. So they gave him TNT Monday nights at 8 p.m. Or 9 p.m. That was at his start time was 9. Right. And that was on TNT. Here we go. You hear what I just said? TNT. Yes. Which is also where AEW is today. Exactly. Now, there we go. Who also was in, in WCW? Ah, who was behind the scenes? Hmm. Maybe able to see America Dream, Dustin Rose. Let me tell you something. I'm loving and living color, baby. I'm going to produce two boys named Dustin and Cody, and they're going to take over the business, if you will. Now. <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was fucking great. 
could do some impressions. Um, so, so then, they, like I said, Dusty was behind the scenes. So in a roundabout way, Dusty has always had this small feud going with Vince. Right. Vince, Vince took Dusty in 1989, 90, and put polka dots on him. Yellow polka dots. And he told Dusty, because see, the deal was, is Dusty said, you can give me anything and I can get it over, baby. Yeah. And he did. He rocked those polka dots all the he way. To the he, he rocked polka dots and went out there dancing with a, a black woman who. Right. And not <laughs> let, let's back up here. I, I don't want this to get lost on anyone. No, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to sidetrack, but I was just saying about so that. A, a white, a very large, obese, white Southern wrestler from Texas and paired him with a black woman from New Jersey. The common woman, if you will. Named Sapphire. Yeah, sweet, my sweet Sapphire. Sweet Sapphire, and <laughs> they locked the polka dots yes. all the way to the bank. So much so, that poor girl had never even had a bank account, and then she went to Dusty, and she said, what do I do with all these? And she had like eight paychecks. Yeah. And Cash them. <laughs> and, and, and Dusty said, listen here, baby, we need to get you a bank account. <laughs> but anyway, okay, so Eric Bischoff's now on TNT, and all of a sudden, he gets Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, and they talk Hogan into becoming a heel. They create this NWO thing that becomes huge. Okay, so let me ask you this. Let me Let me stop you right there. Now, if I remember my history right, and you're the guy to correct me, Scott Hall's contract was up first. Yeah. And there, there was the infamous, um, uh, where they broke kayfabe, it was called the, uh, the, the curtain call, they called it, in Madison Square Garden. Yep. That was Scott Hall's last night in the WWE. Yep. His contract was up. He immediately signs a contract with Eric Bischoff. He had actually gone to Vince and said, Vince. Well, yes, and he want, didn't want to leave. Yeah, and he said, what will it take for me to make a little bit more money or get an extra comma in my paycheck? Right. <laughs> I don't want to go. And Vince said, you know, you're doing a fine job. I, I don't, you know, hey, pal, I, there's nothing I can think of. And he said, can I go to Japan then and pick up extra work over there to pick up extra money? He was like, I got a wife and a kid. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I need to do, I need more money. Yeah. Because back in 90, 95, when he made the jump, Vince had just come, or 96, sorry. Vince had just come off of the steroid trial. WWF. You know what? I forgot about that. You're right. Yeah. WWF was still recovering from that. The ratings were, I mean, they were still in a slump. And yeah. business was. Business overall, WCW and WWE, they were both in a huge slump. And yeah, there wasn't much going on in the world of wrestling. There, really, there was nothing that people were getting excited over. We'll just say that. Right. And then. Scott Hall, you know, DDP actually went to Scott Hall or went to Eric Bischoff, said Scott Hall is interested in coming. 
the right. broker, the you know, kind of them talking. And then Eric, it's funny that you mentioned that because I, I will plug their show because I mean I enjoy enjoy their shows and we got no heat with them. But eighty three weeks dot com or eighty three weeks, um, his podcast this week actually deals with Scott Hall coming in the the whole Scott Hall. So oh, so I, we're we're tying right into Eric's show. Okay, good. Absolutely, and I, and I encourage people to go over there and listen to it. I highly encourage it. I'm just going to give you a brief whatever. Um, 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff. If yes, you are. Conrad Thompson. Yep. So inclined to go over and listen to Eric and Conrad. Go for Tell it. Tell that, uh, that psychic Angelo and Jeff the ref sent you. There you go. Um, he, so, Scott, you know, Scott, they, they tell Scott, instead of him coming even out of the, the back, he comes down through the audience. Now he looks like you got fans going, Holy shit, this is Razor Ramon coming into WCW. And everyone thought it was an invasion. They really did. They legit did, especially when he goes, Hey, yo, the big man's going to be here in a couple weeks. And nobody knew who the big man was. And all of a sudden, Kevin Nash shows up. And we should point out that Kevin Nash's contract was, was up, up right, six days after Scott Hall. And, and, and the deal was Scott had told Kevin the money he was getting ready to make. They Scott called it sting, sting money. Oh, Scott told Kevin that they had, uh, oh, what is it? Uh, there, there's a type of contract that he had signed, basically meaning we are going to be the highest paid. Nobody will make more than us. Right. Company. So he told Kevin, he said, Kevin, negotiate the biggest deal you can because then my deal jumps back, jumps up too. And that's called a favored nation. Okay. I, thank you. I'm glad that you are here to help me out there. So, and, and and at the time they said they wanted Sting money. Sting money was seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's what. That's the figure. Exactly the figure I heard. And they didn't want Hogan money. Hogan was making one point whatever. They didn't want that. They wanted. Oh yeah, that was stratospheric money. Yeah. Right. So they come in. They do the NWO thing, and all of a sudden wrestling takes off like hotcakes for WCW. WCW just they are whooping WWE's WWF's ass in the ratings. 80, this is where the name 83 Weeks comes from. Right. 83 Weeks. Is how old it was, yeah. They were on top of the ratings for 83 Weeks. So much so, Eric even was commented as saying, I get bored coming in on Tuesday mornings because the ratings don't mean nothing to me anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean... And during this time, something else, quite frankly, uh, groundbreaking earth-shattering happened and it involved of all people a woman wrestler named medusa yes she comes over to wcw with the wwe women's title belt and tosses it in a trash can and that right there was looked at as one of the most disrespectful things that you could do in the wrestling business. They called that the, the shot across the bow. And so now, here is the question, because I've heard some debate. Was the opening shot fired, Scott Hall coming, or Medusa dropping the belt? I think it's all tied in together. Okay. I think that Scott Hall Kevin, were a shock. 
And then you have Medusa showing up with the actual belt. Yeah, and, this and is belt. Now you, now you have fans going, holy shit, this is getting real. Yeah, they thought it was... Here's the deal, and, and it works, and they know it does. When you can tie reality into the storylines and weave it in and out to where you make the fans not know what's real and not, that's when they get involved, and that's when they want to watch. Arn Anderson said it best. Professional wrestling thrives when personal issues are at stake. Yep. And we should point out to people that are uh, only listening to the audio version of our podcast that uh, Jeff the Ref is toking on a big fat joint right now. <laughs> it's not as a vape pen. The people on our YouTube channel are having a ball right now. <laughs> um, He's talking away. <laughs> <laughs> no comment on this. Um, I will not say what state I may live in. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but uh, back to uh, what we tell people Virginia is for lovers. That's right. Amen to that. Um, but no, what I was going to say though is, is the whole, I think Medusa, Scott Hall, Kevin Dash, all that ties in. And then, I mean, still, they were whooping their ass. And then, hold up, we're going to go WWE goes, Vince rolls, Vince, this is why Vince is a genius. Okay, tell me. He, rolls, he takes the dice and he rolls them again. He said, I want Iron Mike Tyson. And he had heard WCW was in talks with Tyson. So he said... Let me stop you there. I got to stop you. Before we even get to Tyson, we gotta we have to bring in a character named Stone Cold Steve Austin. Okay. Uh, Austin. Now, let's... We need That's to tell... Right. I was going with it is... Austin had started taking off at the event King of the Ring. He uh, gave an interview with Michael Hayes, and at the end of it, because he was facing Jake the Snake, Jake the Snake at the time was doing a Christian preacher, I'm holier-than-thou gimmick. Right. He had found religion. He, he, yeah. And I don't know where, but he found it somewhere. <laughs> um, we, we, we will not elaborate any further. <laughs> you got to know... I, I would encourage people to go see, uh, watch the DDP uh, documentary of Jake the Snake, basically the resurrection of Jake the Snake. Yes, that was movie. Um, that really kind of gives a down low of of, the, of Jake and, and what he's been through in his life. Uh, but um, anyway, <laughs> so Austin gives his promo, and he said, "I don't give." He was like. I don't care about your John 316s or Psalm 316, but Austin 316 says, I just whooped your ass. Crowd, boom, pop. And that was completely off the cuff. It, it was. And then we'll fast forward a little bit more. Vince McMahon's going, you got to, you know, you got to be corporate. You got to calm it down. You can't be coming out here yelling and swearing and giving the finger and doing what you're doing. Right. And he dropped Vince McMahon in Madison Square Garden with the stunner. For the very first time, McMahon took a bump. Right. And it was given by, as soon as that happened, that, I mean, game, but, you know, okay. They really, then Vince sat back and he said, 
I got me my new baby face. I got somebody who's hot, who's getting around I me. Mean, they didn't know how hot he was going to be. Right. But they knew they had something. Now we're going to go to Tyson. They pick up Tyson. Right. Iron Mike Tyson, world champion at the time. No, he wasn't. He had just he'd been out. Oh, he's gotten out of prison. Oh, that's right. You're right. I'm sorry. And, and, and Tyson comes in. He's got his little entourage with him. I'm going to tell you a funny story that Bruce Pritchard actually told about this whole scenario. Tyson comes in. You got Austin. Austin pushes Tyson hard. I mean, woo. Tyson pushes him back. Austin gives him the double bird. They're getting ready to, I mean, it's looking like these two are getting ready to shoot brawl with each other. Right. Jerry Briscoe and various ones are, are pulling Austin out, and he's going, nah, you know, double middle fingers all over the place. And in the meantime, when somebody in Tyson's entourage took a bump of some sorts, and they have legit $100 bills on them that went flying. So Bruce Pritchard. Yeah. <laughs> I heard that. Bruce said, he was like, the guys wanted Tyson's entourage started scrambling, picking up all the money. <laughs> and he said, but after that, you had Austin facing Shawn Michaels for the world title. That was Shawn Michaels' uh, swan song for five years. Right. Um, and then that was the, the, the crowning of Stone Cold. And, and the crowning of Stone Cold saw the resurgence in the wrestling business after about a seven, eight-year lull. It was back on the upswing now. There you go. So get us back to WCW now. Now you got WCW, who's been kicking their ass for 83 weeks. Not, not even really paying attention to what WWE is doing or caring. And then all of a sudden, Eric Bischoff goes, oh, shit. They figured it out. Yeah. And he even said that he had a no shit moment. Yeah. When they brought in Tyson, he said they figured it out. The right. Final. Then you had Austin feuding with Vince McMahon. What red-blooded American man, or woman even, that's a blue-collar worker, would not want to go in, give your boss the double middle fingers, say F you, and still keep your job? Oh, it, that's a no-brainer. I mean... So, Everybody would love to tell their boss to go fuck off. So you have anti-authority here, and he can relate to every red-blooded American out there, man and woman. Right. And on top of that, he's coming out there drinking beers and toasting beers and double middle fingers and, you know, everything that he can. The dude was injured, and still his T-shirts were outselling everybody by, they, they said his, his T-shirts we're outselling everything that was being sold. It was Austin 316. Yep. So then WWE takes back over their ratings. WCW only had a couple more times where they were even on top of the ratings. One time they, they were desperate. They even went Goldberg Hogan. They should have saved that match for Starcade or Howling Havoc or whatever for a big pay-per-view and done a blow off, blow off there. But they were scared. The ratings were sinking. Or not even sinking. The ratings had dropped. And right. Eric got scared. Now, here, here, wait. There was another infamous night in that wrestling war. And Tony Schiavone made the comment about Mick Foley. Now, he said, they're pre-taped over there. Yeah, Mick Foley's getting ready to win their world title. That'll put a lot of butts in the seats. Now, he was told that line by Eric Bischoff. 
and that bit him on the ass. And that was the moment. Nobody will let him live it down to this day. However, now he actually lives it up. And he will even say, yeah. this is the greatest night in the, in, in the history of our great sport and things like that. It, it, but at that moment, over 450,000 viewers switched the channel. They had no idea how beloved Nick Foley was. They had no clue. Vince McMahon didn't know how beloved Mick Foley was. They all tuned over to see him win the championship. And as soon as that happened and Vince saw that, then he said, oh, shit, I got another star on my hands. Exactly. In the meantime, you have a young man coming up by the name of The Rock. You have another man, young man on the come up by the name of Triple H. Yep. Now sure you do. have four key core main event superstar wrestlers. I'm going to take that all the way up to today real quick. There's a problem right there and a lot of what's wrong with the wrestling business today. I agree. Is they have no clear cut. No, I'll say this. There are ones that fans want to have be your, your clear cut superstar, i.e. a Daniel Bryan. They tried turning him heel. It failed. The fans would not really buy into him being a heel. He's back right. in the face. I, they don't, but see, that's what they need. They need that. They need who, I don't care who it is. I don't give a, I don't care. I do not care. Well, the one thing that you're seeing with uh, even the, the new NWA power, the National Wrestling Alliance power program you're seeing them invest emotionally invest and financially invest in <laughs> upstarts that can become bigger than the company and they need to become spokesman for the company now i think where you were going with this and, and correct me if i'm wrong but vince won't allow anyone to be bigger than the company anymore I yeah, think the Hulk Hogan, the ultimate warrior. There it is. Is I don't think that I think he's scared. I really do. Is everybody who because in recent years I've heard other people make that argument, Jeff, but here's my question. Scared of what? The man's a billionaire. I I don't know. See, you know, this is where you, you gotta say he may need to step back and let other people take the reins totally because Every other time he's had that superstar, WWE's been on top and been, I mean, gangbusters. Well, even, when, even when Cena was on top and the fans didn't want to like him, yeah, the ratings still weren't tanking like they are today. No, but John Cena found a way to get himself over. Okay, and he did that on his own. Exactly. He went into business for here's, himself. Here's, here's the problem. And, I, and, you know, I'll say this. I'm glad, Eric, I'm, I'm glad that Bruce Pritchard is now the producer over on SmackDown. And here's why. I got a hunch that he may let more and more of the boys be themselves and let their personality come out in an interview or a promo. Well, let's talk about that, promos and interviews. Because okay. that's, that's where you you bring people to the, to the dance with you. You want me to tell you the difference between promos and interviews today? Go watch AEW and watch Chris Jericho give a promo in the ring. He's not and being given the script. That's the difference. And then you watch the WWE guys, and you can tell that their heart and soul is not into what they're saying. They don't believe it. They have no passion for it. 
There, well, yeah, there, think about, I want you to think about this. They have writers writing a script, like an actor memorizing, you know, lines for a show. There you go. That, no, that's what I was going to get to. You got Chris, boys back having, having to memorize a three-page script for a 10-minute promo. Right, yeah, and that's that's exactly my point. You're 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 going right. You're going right with me on this. And, and then they're going to turn around and say, "We need you to be angry." Well, but angry? here's the thing, though. Chris Jericho, a couple of weeks ago, caught what they call they're calling it a pipe bomb promo. He dropped the he dropped a bomb in the middle of the ring. Yeah. Because he clearly called out WWE's creative oh, and yeah. called it shit on national television. He called it shit. Yeah, he did. Because you can now say shit true. on that. Evidently, you can now say shit on national TV. I found out. I heard that. So You can. Um, then, And the problem is WWE, quote, superstars, unquote, don't even call themselves wrestlers. They're superstars. Well, here's my problem. Not everybody's a damn superstar. Not everybody can be. Hulk Hogan is a superstar. Yep. Ric Flair is a superstar. The Rock was a superstar. A wrestler. Yeah. Kevin Owens is a wrestler. Yep. Can, can they be superstars? Do they have the potential? If they were allowed to be themselves, they could. If they, exactly, if you allow them to be themselves. You want me to tell you why Bray Wyatt is so hot right now as a fiend? Yeah, because, because he's allowed to do what he wants to do. There you go. He is one of the only few who's allowed to cut his own promo. Think about it. Who's his father? Mike Rotundo. Who's his granddad? Blackjack Mulligan. Who are his uncles? Barry and Kendall. He's right. got the lineage. That kid's probably been cutting promos since he was seven years old, and he's been cutting them on family. Father work. There you go. His father, Mike Rotundo, is an agent and producer for the WWE. And I'm sure that he can sit there and say, my boy can cut his own promo, let him do it. And exactly what he did. And exactly what he did. Now, here's the problem that I have. Well, real quick, what I was going to say is, Bruce Pritchard is very much on the let the guys sink or swim on their own promo. Well, Bruce has been in the business for 40 years. So that's what he's used to. And I'm hoping and praying that him being in charge of SmackDown, that he's going to slowly go, we're going to go back to bullet point promos. Exactly. And they went to bullet point promos, which, I'll, okay, I'll explain that really quick to everybody. Um, the bullet point promo would be, Okay, um, Angelo, you're going to be in Madison Square Garden, or or, you, uh, uh, or next week on Raw, you're going to be facing Seth Rollins for the world title. Um, you're, we're going to be in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, we need, and you're going to be at the pay per view, and it's going to be a steel cage. Go now. Now you know. Okay, world title, hype that Seth Rollins. Tell him I'm beefing Cleveland. I'm going to be there. Steel cage. Nobody can come in. Nobody can leave. But, but you know, whatever. The best at that was Dusty Rhodes. Absolutely. He would he would give you the where, the why, the how, the time, and the place. Yep. He would say something like, Ric Flair, 
I'm going to meet you at 8 o'clock Saturday night in the Omni in Atlanta. Right there, you got where, the time, the place, and who's there. Yep. Okay? And that's the first line. And then Dusty would fill in the blanks. It's more, it's more like WWE is now trying to be a television show than a wrestling show. Well, and that's a point that we need to make. Are they watching wrestling or are they watching television? Because AEW is a wrestling show on television. WWE, in my opinion, is a television show that features wrestling. That's the difference. I would agree, I think, and I think that's why the fans have a hard time sinking their teeth into what they're doing right now. Now, let me ask you a question, Jeff. And this is, it may sound like an easy question, but it's, I think it's, if you delve into it, and I want you to, that it's probably deeper than you think. What's the difference, if any, between professional wrestling and so-called sports entertainment? Mm. Wow. That's a deep, you, you're right, that is a deep question. It really is. Um, it's deep. Because, I okay, a pro, pro wrestling, want to go in there, have a good match, deliver a good match, and it's based, you know, on, on, on a match, on, on, on telling a story in there in the ring. Sports entertainment is, we're going to have a wrestling show, but in the process... We're going to have these sideshows that you can watch. And I think, stop right there. Stop right there. Because I think that you hit the nail on the head. When you watched, and again, I'm going to give away my age. But if when you watched superstar Billy Graham and Bob Backlund wrestle, they wrestled a wrestling match. Yep. There was no other sideshow. There were no other characters involved. It was the emotional investment of this big muscle-bound superstar Billy Graham going up this howdy-doody-looking guy, Bob Backlund, who could kick your ass. You, he, he, he didn't look like he could, but he was a vicious guy and, and strong as a bull. Yep. That happened to look like Howdy Doody. There's drama there. There's emotional investment. And, and that, that, that's it. And right that's now. what I think's missing. There's no emotional. I'm not emotionally invested when I watch Raw and SmackDown. I'm no, not. No. I just, I'm just not. No, no. I mean, I, I mean, be honest with you. I could miss one and and be okay. Um. Whereas back in, in my day, now granted I was a kid, I was a young man, I was a young lad, right. um, but I was 10 years old in 1987. If my mom took me out shopping and it was after 6.05 on Saturday, I was going into full-blown fit Yeah, because I was missing my wrestling on TBS. And granted, it was job matches. You had jobbers, you had the Mulkey Brothers, George South, Tony Zane. You yeah. knew they were all going to lose. However, I didn't want to miss that promo by Dusty Rhodes. I didn't want to miss a Ric Flair promo. I didn't want to miss any angles that they may be. The other thing, too, though, Jeff, 
The other thing, too, and you mentioned the Mokis and Tony Zane and George South, all guys that were, quote, jobbers. Yep. But the reason you watched is that you were emotionally invested. You hoped that maybe that would be the night they would win. That, and I mean, you would sit there, even though you knew they were going to get their ass kicked, you were going, okay, what may happen on the on the back end? Who may run in on on, right. on the Road Warriors? Is it going to be Tully and Aaron? Is it going to be the Horsemen? Jeff, look at how emotionally invested people became in Randy and, and Bill Mulkey when, when they, they won. When okay, they got tell first everybody first. that story. It was in 1987. They had hyped a tag team for a couple weeks called the Gladiators. Said they are the California West Coast tag team champions. They're right. coming in, and they're going to be in the Crockett Cup. Then they come on the Saturday night, and they said, "Now see, this is 1987. Again, I'm 10 years old. Other people may have been able to put two and two together. I didn't. I was. I'm just watching it and watching my wrestling. They 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 go." The winner, now here, here, here was the giveaway on TV that if you were smart, you picked up on it. The winner of the Mulkies and Gladiators match will go on to the Crockett Cup. Right. The Mulkies, by this point, have become beloved by the fans because they could take an ass kicking. Never won a match. <laughs> Never. And, and, and then Jim Cornette. One week, came out and called it Mulkey Mania. So all of a sudden, you started seeing signs, instead, you know, like the Hulkamania, but it said Mulkey Mania. Popping up. Yeah. And it's not that they were due to be getting a big push, but it was like, okay, these guys may deserve a little something. So anyway, they're in the match with the Gladiators. Gladiators, of course, are, you know, beating the Mulkies as usual. One of the Mulkies gets thrown out. He climbs back in. He's behind the gladiator. The gladiator suplex and the other brother back in the ring. They do the old schoolboy fall over the guy who you don't see there. Right, yeah. His brother falls on top. Referee, one, two, three. Crowd pops. Right. That studio went ape shit. I'm, I'm jumping all around my living room. My mom thinks I lost my mind. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> and, and I'm going, but the Mulkies just won. And but think about that, though. Even as a 10 year old boy, you were, in, again, I'm going to use that word again, emotionally, emotionally invested in the Mulkey Brothers. Here's the deal, too. And they've gotten away from it. They used to promote, they used to use wrestling to promote your house shows. There are no house shows anymore. No, they do them now, but they don't draw a crowd because they don't. They do not think about. It, it, okay, if Raw one week, and I'm serious about this, if Raw were to take their three hour show, you want to showcase ten of your wrestlers, you get ten job guys, mm -hmm. and you put okay. them in the ring with your ten top guys. All right, who you're trying to push, and you say. You're not going to get any offense, but maybe two punches to the gut and a clothesline. Other than that, he's kicking your ass. And you make somebody. They did it with Braun Strowman, actually. They had him just waxing. I mean, local indie boys after indie boys. You know what I mean? Two yeah. to three of them at a time. 
all of a sudden people started buying into him being the new monster. They exactly. To see him getting that push. That that's what I'm getting at. Is back in the day, yeah, you saw them beating the hell out of a jobber, but you're going, man, I wonder what would happen if the Road Warriors matched up with Warlord and Barbarian. They're about the same size. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, you know, and you're talking emotional investment. So you would go to the house show though, because they would talk you into it. I was convinced every single house show I went to, I was going to see Ric Flair lose his title that night. And that that's the thing. They talked you into it. They don't anymore because no. they don't have to. They don't have to even talk you into watching Raw on Monday night. All they got, all they do is advertise a match. Yeah. Well, why do I want to watch that match? As you said, emotionally invested. And I'm not, you know what? AEW is only three weeks old. Technically. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They've, had television. yeah. they've had they've had pay-per-views, but three weeks old on TV. Right. I enjoy their product very much. I, I other than anyway. I, 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 Marco's stunt guy last week, I mean. Yeah. Well, I mean, they got some bugs to work out. I think that, I, I think AEW is going to find its footing. Oh, they got to, they got to fine tune things. They really do. And, and they will. I, I, and I, I think that what they're doing now with, with people like, you know, Orange Cassidy and Marco Stunt and Jungle Boy, they're not, you know, let's be honest, they're not terribly over. Okay. No, no. And the only reason I think even Jungle Boy is slightly over is because of who his father was. That, but yeah. I'll, I'll say, I'll say this to that kid's defense: he's got to look and he can work. He can work, and he but, does have. He's got. But he's, he's a tall. Let, let's be honest about it, though. He's a tall, lanky kid. He is, but okay. So is Barry Windham before he filled out. Well, true. Okay, but Barry could work his balls off. I'm not. I'm not comparing Jungle Boy to him. I'm just saying they were both tall and lanky. Right. Jungle Boy's, Jungle Boy's only been in it for about two years. Right. He's green. He's very green. Um, but he he does have potential. I mean, that's what I'm getting at. Marco Stunt, I would have no problem with. If they used him as a job boy, but they used him and they let him actually be pulling off moves. Yeah. If they had who he was facing the the um the Lucha Brothers as Lucha Brothers. Was, yeah. If they had totally gone in there and just straight, he goes for her and Rana and we powerbomb his ass. He goes for this move and we do this. That's what they should have been doing. That yeah. would have got, that would have gotten them over more as monsters. It would have given Jungle Boy and even Marco that sympathetic baby face. I think the I, th I think the Lucha Brothers, at least in my estimation, lost a little bit of credibility. Oh, no doubt. By, by by allowing Marco Stunt to get over on them. Yep. I I did I, I didn't think that that was a terribly bright move, especially if you're trying to establish yourself as a dominant tag team. There you go. Okay. The other thing, uh, and in tying in the house shows, he'd be great for a house show, but not on television. You put him in a house show, the kids are going to love him. That, that's my point. Remember back in the day, again, you and I are probably going to give our age away with this, but there used to be, and, and I have to be politically incorrect there for a moment, folks, but there used to be something called midget wrestling. 
Oh no, Hornswoggle would tell you to call him a midget. He said midgets yeah, make money. Yeah, he doesn't like little person. He like, I'm a midget. Yep, he, yeah. says, he says midgets make money. Exactly. And and but the midgets on a house show were and think about this. The midgets and the women only right. performed on house shows. Yep, because they were special draws. They were special attractions. Exactly. If you wanted to see the women wrestle, you had to buy a ticket. Yep. And the midgets, you had to buy a ticket. They made it to where you needed to buy a ticket. And AEW, they haven't announced that they're going to go on and do any house shows. They would be smart to, but I don't know what their, their formula is. But if they were to do house shows, you're right. You could use an Orange Cassidy and a Marco Stunt doing their goofiness and their comedy and whatever they want to do. And you're not killing a TV audience in the process. The other thing you're doing, you're establishing them with a live crowd. Yep. Now, Tony Khan, the uh, billionaire owner of AEW, says that they will have a house show business. I, I hadn't heard anything, but yeah. yeah. He said they will have a house show business. They're going to do... You know, non-televised live events. You know, eight to 10,000 seat facilities. That'd be good. Okay, now, Eric Bischoff purposely went in the opposite direction. Back in the 90s. And, yeah, and el completely eliminated house shows and only did television and pay-per-view now here here's something interesting and i heard it again on uh, on the uh, podcast with with conrad back in 1994 guess what the average house show attendance was in 94 probably yeah, 14 15 thousand Four hundred and fifty people for a house show. You're talking about WCW. WCW house shows. That was their average. Four hundred and fifty. Yeah, that's the average. I was figuring fourteen thousand, fifteen thousand. You would think so, but they weren't, and because they weren't hot, they were they were dead. They were dying. Wow. That's why Eric. Are you serious? Dead serious, because. And think about this. You're having to fly the boys there. Yeah. Um, hey, some, of, some of them, you got to pay for their rental car. Other ones are paying for their own. Yeah. Um, some of them, you're paying for a hotel. Other ones, you're paying for their own. But you're also paying for that ring truck to go there, the crew to set that up. Well, you're paying for the ring truck. You're paying for their performance. You're paying you're for the building for rental. The building rental. So you're losing money. You're paying, yeah, you're paying for security. And you have to use, you know, union security. And you have to use, and oh. they don't work cheap. Yeah, oh my God, you're, you're already in the red. That's, and so Eric Bischoff, at that point, when he told Ted Turner, I'm going to make you money, I'm going to put this in the black. That was one of his solutions was, we're going to scale back. We're going to maybe limit it to 10 to 20 house shows in a year. Yeah. And if we go anywhere, it's going to be the cities where we know we're going to draw a Greensboro, Charlotte, you know, the main mid-Atlantic area, basically. 
Right, Baltimore. We're do our TV tapings down here in Orlando, Florida at MGM Grand Studio. And part of that hurt them and part of that helped them. It helped them because they would be down there for three days and they had film a, you know, about two months worth of tapings. Where it hurt them is when you got a pay-per-view coming up and then during your taping, you have somebody coming out with new tag champs. Yeah. And Meltzer hits his dirt sheet and goes, we're going to have new tag champs and the pay-per-view match hadn't even happened where the guys lost them. Yeah. So, in that way, the dirt sheets kind of hurt WCW to a point because they were exposing two months out what was getting ready to happen. So then, why are you as a fan going to watch that TV? Well, yeah, why, why, uh, why spend your money for pay per view if you already know the spoiler alert? There you go. So that's kind of also though when Eric went live with. Yo, okay, fine. But, but Jeff, isn't that part of the boys' fault? Because Meltzer gets his information from the boys. Let's be honest about it. He, he gets the majority of it from the boys, but he also gets it from fans that are in attendance. Well, true, but I mean, I, I mean, I'm but, sure. Do the dirt? I guess what I'm asking is, do, does the dirt sheet community and you know Meltzer included, do they have a responsibility? To protect the business. I think to a point they do, but they, they don't see it that way. They see it as we're journalists and we need to expose everything that we can. Well, they're not journalists, but that that's the whole point. They're they not. They are. But, yeah, they can, they can say all day long they're journalists, but they're not. To be honest, they're not. Here's the question, though, I mean, that's been asked. Meltzer is a wrestling fan that writes a dirt sheet. Let's be honest about it. Here, here's the other thing. If you're a true journalist, you can cite your references of who told you what. Right. They they never do that. A source told me. And then it's and that you know why that is? Because then they can turn around and go, oh well, it, they changed their mind. Yeah. It's not I told or I, I made it up and I was just guessing. It's oh it's let's be honest about it. If Meltzer can't get information. From one of the boys, yep. Let's just shoot, okay? Because he makes it up, and that's a shoot. That's a shoot. He makes it up. He will. He won't admit it, but he will. You know, in journalism, there's an expression that's used. If the truth, uh, if if a, if the rumor is greater than the truth, print the rumor. Yep. That's what they say in journalism. If the rumor is greater than the truth, print the rumor. Because nobody wants to hear the truth. It's not juicy enough. It's not gossipy enough. Well, I mean, why do you think that Meltzer will report on rumors backstage? Why do you think they call it the rumor mill? They don't call it the truth mill. It's a rumor mill. It's the rumor mill because it's gossipy and it's juicy and you can talk about it. And, and and guess what? You don't have to be wrong because it's a fucking rumor. There you go. And uh, I, I mean, but what I was going to say was it hurts the business overall when you report things that are happening ahead of time like that. Yeah. Because you are affecting pay-per-view buys. You're affecting viewership. You're affecting a lot. Oh, absolutely. I mean... Um, 
you know, back when SmackDown was on Friday nights earlier last year and whatever, and they aired on Friday nights, it was already pre-taped. Yeah. When they were pre-taped, before they went to Tuesdays, that was announced on the dirt sheets and on the internet, you know, spoiler, blah, 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 whatever. Yeah. So why am I going to tune in? That's a, well, that's a very valid point. Why? I mean, I don't care who the match is unless I really want to see them match up. I'm not going to watch it. And then yeah. again, I'm, pro- I'm going to give it to something really quick and totally different than what we were just talking about. This is something that is on my mind that kind of bugs me. And I think this is kind of what hurts WWE. AEW, maybe, I hope I hope they don't go down this path. But WWE will announce a pay-per-view match. Okay, right. And then a week or two later, all of a sudden, these two guys are in a tag match. The next week, they're in a singles match that ends in a DQ. The following week, they're in a schmoz, another schmoz. Yeah. Or a DQ, whatever, count out, whatever, blow yeah. off. And now we go to the pay-per-view. Why do I want to watch them for a fourth time? They already tipped a bit. I've already seen you guys face each other three times. I've already seen what you're capable of. You're not going to do anything really new in that match on uh, on Sunday. So why am I going to watch? Right. But But now you want me to pay for it. There you go. So, again, I mean, now WWE benefits from only being $9.95. If AEW goes down that same route, why am I going to pay 50 bucks to watch you? True. True. I mean, you know, they've already had, and they did it smart. John Moxley attacked Kenny Omega, drop him through the glass table, all that. Okay. Right. They haven't had the two of them touch other than, uh, well, no, they had a tag match last week. but then, Last week in Philly. And then John Moxley... Turn face, I guess. I don't know what the hell happened there. Um, and 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 yeah, I, I was going to ask you about that. He turned on his partner. We'll get into that after you finish, but because I, I have some questions about that. I, I go ahead, ask away because I really, I mean, I, I'm just saying. I mean, it made no sense to me. You know, yeah, I, I don't understand why you're in a tag match with. Two guys that are clearly in contention for, you know, the, the tag team tournament title match, right? They're Moxley a team with Pac against John Moxley and oh, that's, I'm sorry, yes, you're right. So so why if my understanding is that Pac is a heel, yep, and I would I thought <laughs> I thought Moxley was a heel. Yeah. Uh, up until last week in Philly. All of a sudden, he turns on his guy, but he's still heel against Omega, but he's he leaves with the crowd popping him. I, I don't understand that. You're asking me to explain logic to you that I can't because what they have basically said is, you know, we're not going to really care about your traditional baby faces and heels. And that's part of the problem is, no wrestler these days knows how or wants to be a traditional heel. Well, that leads me into this then. If if AEW sticks to their guns 
and says that wins and losses matter, um, that baby faces and heels will be defined. No, won't be. Or won't be defined. Well, then that's contrary to what Tony Khan said. Then there, there's a a problem there. Then, <laughs> if, if you're going to have wins and losses that matter, then you have to clearly define baby faces and heels. You would think they. Or, or, is, or is my logic like no, way the logic is absolutely correct? But here's the problem that you run into, or what. Is when you become a heel these days, the fans pop for you. Well, then there's no definition then between heels and baby faces. They're because just the fans. And you know what? We'll go back to where we started in this whole conversation. Back to the '90s, the Attitude Era. Stone Cold, by definition, should have been a heel. He he, he was, and he should have remained a heel. Anybody. You're attacking your boss. That back in the 80s, you would have been booed out of a building. Well, let, let's go before that. Let's go before that. One of the problems that Bret Hart had, because it was Stone Cold became a baby face because of a baby face. Yeah. Bret Hart was the face in that match. Austin was the heel. By the end of the match, they were booing Brett. It was a double turn. Yeah, and popping for, for Steve. <clears throat> and the deal was that Stone Cold didn't even want to be a face. They were telling him, oh, Brett even told him. He was like, oh, did you hear that? It was a face pop. And he was like, I don't want to be a face. And they, he was like, it doesn't matter. The fans want you to be. Yeah. I think the fans these days, it's, it's just... Honestly, I, I guess maybe it shouldn't be fans. It's society drives what the fan, the way kind of the fans feel, and it's buck everybody. And if you're bucking up against the system, then we're going to cheer you. Yeah, I mean, that really tends to be what it is. And it, it, it's you know, you give us what we want, we're going to cheer it. If you don't, then we're going to boo it. That doesn't make sense to me or you or traditional fans when we grew up. With faces and heels, and we were like, okay, you're the good guy. We're going to, yay, you're the bad guy, boo. Right. And then you may have had a select group of fans that were your token asshole fans, we'll just say. <laughs> right. That cheered the heels. Yeah. Why? Because they wanted to be that set of group of jerk fans that made the kids go, oh, you stupid little jerk. Sit down and shut up. My 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 good guy is going to beat your, your bad guy. Yeah. And they weren't, it wasn't so, you know, granted, the horsemen got cheered, but they True. got cheered because of what, they got cheered by your college frat boys, yeah. by your 20-something-year-olds and 30-something-year-olds, because again, what man wouldn't want to sit there and have every woman you want and be able to have the finer things in life and fly on luxury jets and have the best cars and the best suits and the best, everything the horsemen were about. What young man would not want that lifestyle? And Nobody I know. They would, they would all want it. And, and so, therefore, they were getting, they, they had their section of cheers. But they also had a good section of people that, boo, you suck. Uh. Right. These days, and I, I, I say the fans are fickle because 
to a point they are. They don't know who they want to cheer and who they want to boo. Um, but but in, in, in the same token, yeah. Well, I was just going to say, by the same token, promoters, people with the pencil, let's say, aren't giving us any clear definition of who our baby faces and heels are. Although no, I think, don't. believe it or not, and you, this may surprise you, but I think. That Billy Corrigan and his NWA. That's actually where I was getting ready to go. Is they are traditional. They they are clearly defined heels and faces. They are also clearly defined as being a traditional wrestling product. Exactly. A wrestling studio down in Georgia. Very much so. Owned by a millionaire, multi-millionaire, Billy Corrigan. Yeah. Um, Not that he has Vince kind of money or, or, or Tony Khan. Well, but nobody's going to have a GoFundMe for him anytime soon. No, exactly. So what I was going to say is, but he's decided to go in and and try it differently as far as how am I going to air my product? Well, you know what? There's millions of viewers on YouTube. And guess what? Their number is almost at a million views and may even be over that for their first couple shows. Well, and what that tells me is that his formula is working. There you go. What he's doing, people don't realize what he's doing. YouTube is Billy Corgan's test market. Yep. If he can get those views to skyrocket, there's not a television station in this country that won't pick him up. He could, go, he could go to any television station and say, look, these are the numbers we did on YouTube. Well, what I was going to say is you even look at uh, you look at what uh, MLW, and they're on YouTube, but they also are on the BN Network, which is on cable. Yeah, I'm very uh, with Court Bowers Group. Yep, and another little little indie promotion that's got some money behind them, and, and they're doing a little something-something. Um, you know, I, I, hang on. I was going to try to look up on YouTube really quick uh, what the numbers were, but I, I, my computer's not letting me. So, um, anyway, um, but what I was—I mean, so you got MLW and, and, and NWA. NWA is at six oh five tonight, Tuesday night. Yep. Sure. Um, the NWA World Champion is Nick Aldis, who is married to Mickey James over there in the WWE. Uh, Nick Aldis, uh, he had he's had a couple of stints in. Um, I want to say he was in WWE briefly, and then he was in TNA for a while. Yeah. And, um, well, the former American Gladiator. We should point that out. Yep. And, and and here's the deal. This is what I would like to say though. You watch him in an interview, and he carries himself like an NWA World Champion or like a former NWA World Champion. Yes, absolutely. He's out there in the suit and tie and holding the belt and looking like. You know, looking like a champion. Exactly. He um, looks like... And, and that goes a long way. Here you go. He looks like a wrestler. Thank you. Before we go any further, I want to give everybody our plugs right now as we're going to wrap this up here. We're at about the uh, 124 mark. We, we, and uh, so we, we, are, uh, <laughs> we are on YouTube. 
Wrestling with the Future is on YouTube on the Psychic Angelo channel. Uh, you can catch us there. Uh, just look for the Wrestling with the Future icon. It's all there for you. You can find us on our internet presence on Podbean. That is our audio version. That's an audio-only version on Podbean. It's psychicangelo100.podbean.com. And all of our episodes are uploaded immediately after we record them. Uh, if you have questions for our mailbag, please give us a holler. If you have questions for Jeff the Ref or myself, uh, anything with psychic readings, that's a, a whole other show we do. That's uh, Psychic in the City. Yeah, and on Yahoo, and I'm I'm sorry, at, uh, uh, on YouTube, but uh, we'll talk. That that's uh, another conversation for another day. We're going to talk about wrestling right now, and so uh, get us uh, at Wrestling with the Future at Yahoo.com. There you go. And I'm going to tell you that again. It's Wrestling with the Future at Yahoo.com. Also, we have a Twitter presence. It's at Wrestling Future at wrestling future on twitter yep, we will soon i hope very soon we will have a um, patreon yeah we're, we're working on our patreon we will very shortly be on stitcher spotify google play i iHeart's, uh, itunes any and everywhere that you can find a podcast find, yep you will find us on all the platforms very shortly we're uh, working out the logistics on that, as this stuff isn't cheap, folks. It costs money. It does. And uh, if Marlboro is uh, is out there, hey, there we go. And, and listening, uh, we would love to have Marlboro as a sponsor for our show. Oh yeah! And by the way, also Manscape. Oh yeah, Manscape. If you're listening, yes, we would Blue love Chip, to. If you're listening, yeah, and any any of the 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 big products that advertise on wrestling shows, any Both vape mattress. shops, yep, any vape shops out there, <laughs> we'll take you. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I was going to tell fans though, tonight. Tune in six oh five. NWA. Just look up NWA uh, Power, and you'll find it. Yeah, it's uh, NWA Power on YouTube. Tomorrow night, we have uh, a doubleheader. We have AEW NXT. and NXT going head-to-head -head on Wednesday nights. And then uh, Friday, Smackdown. don't forget SmackDown on the Fox Network on Friday night. And, uh, and you will see uh, Jeff the Ref and myself in living color next week. Uh, uh, unless you're listening... Quick plug from for, for my local promotion. Yes. VCW Vanguard Championship Wrestling. We are found at VCW-Wrestling.com or on uh, Facebook at Vanguard. Just look it up, Vanguard Championship Wrestling. Um, we, released, we released videos of our a lot of our matches. Uh, you know, if you're a fan of, I mean, if you're a fan of up-and-comers, watch our product. If you're a fan of old school, watch our product. Exactly. Um, I mean, we got young... Young up-and-comers like Colby Carino, who's the son of Steve Carino. And yes. um, very, very talented kid who's going to be going a long, long way. He's got, I mean, he's technically, he had his first match when he was 12 years old. So, uh, he, he, and it wasn't, it wasn't a bullshit match either. It was an actual match. Quick so. shout-out to C.W. Anderson. Yes, sir. C.W., if you're out there listening to this show, 
I want you on as a guest. <laughs> we, I, I, you know what? I'm working on that one. I really am. I'm working really hard on that. And Jack Victory. Yes. If you're out there, I Big want you love. as a guest. Yes. I haven't seen you in a long time, and I want to catch up. I, I mean, I've been actually following. Here, I'm going to tell this, and then we can we can totally we can we can fade to black or whatever, or let it go. But I'm going to tell a quick uh, Jack Victory story. Um, the, the the local baseball team here is the Norfolk Tides, and at the time they were called the Tidewater Tides. But anyway, uh, they, they were playing a game. They had uh, just opened up our, our the new Harbor Park baseball park, and. I had gone there with uh, my, my my buddy from school and his dad. They were in the middle of a rain delay. They were getting ready to probably call the game. I had gone downstairs to go get me a soda. I'm coming back up the stairs. I happened to shoulder block a guy coming down the stairs as I was going up. And he about knocks me down the stairs. And I go, holy shit. I look up and it was Jack Victory. And I said, you're Jack Victory. And he was like, shh. Shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> and I was like, no. I said, but can I get your autograph really quick? And he said, meet me downstairs. So I go and I, I yell for my friend who also watched wrestling with me. I was like, Jack Victory's here. And he was like, oh, shit. He comes flying downstairs. We go, we're, we get him to sign sign something that we had. And, and I'm talking to him. And... Um, you know, I, I was asking him about teaming up with Rip Morgan as part of the New Zealand she, uh, New Zealand militia and all that, because that was right around the, that that time. Right. And um, and he was like, and all of a sudden, the next thing he knows, because he was signing my autograph and he signed for my friend, then he was talking to us. All of a sudden, this crowd started forming, and they said, "Who is he?" And I was like, "If y'all don't know, then you don't need to even bother him." Well, then they all of a sudden started going up to him, and different people recognizing him. And he looks at me, he goes, "Thanks a lot, kid." <laughs> so that's that, great it, it was just a random baseball game that he happened to be at he doesn't even live in norfolk he was there with his girlfriend who had family yeah. there so that's funny yeah but anyway well jeff say goodbye to everybody goodbye everybody Goodbye, everybody. We'll see you next week right here at Wrestling with the Future. Don't forget to check us out on Podbean at PsychicAngelo100.podbean.com, Wrestling with the Future at Yahoo.com, at Wrestling Future on Twitter, and we will see you next week. Until then, everybody, take care. Happy wrestling. Bye-bye.